Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God. It contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, it contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. It also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're with us today and ready to study some Bible. That's what we do each week is try to answer as many of our viewers' questions as we can and uh, Take them as we get them, put them in the lineup, and work on them as fast as we can. And so if you've got a question about the Bible, give us a call or log on. There's a phone number and a website on the screen all the time. You can use those anytime, and we'd like to answer your question for you. Uh, if you send us an email to that website, we'll get you an answer a lot quicker than we can in the mail or quicker than we can get it on the air because we're always a little backed up with questions. But we will get to it. But if you need an immediate answer, email is the best way to do that, and we'll get you an answer pretty quickly that way. Uh, we've got lots of them saved up, and Toby Levering and I are going to try to answer them. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. We've got uh, lots of good ones, but we always have one for our viewers first. So here's your question for the day. Uh, which apostle do we call doubting? There's one apostle that we called doubting so-and-so, and, -so, and uh, that's one that you probably know even if you've never opened a Bible. That's a common phrase. So we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. It's like I drew the first one today. Is there a significance to the number 10 like there is to the number 7? Well, I, I don't believe so. The number 7 uh, most people say it indicates perfection. The number seven is used a lot in the Bible. Uh, the number 40 is used a lot in the Bible. <clears throat> number 12 is kind of important, I guess. There's 12 tribes and 12 apostles and a few things like that. I don't think there's anything special about the number 10 except there were 10 commandments, but we don't see it used much anyplace else. Uh, I'll just say this kind of in general. A lot of people get really caught up in biblical numerology and trying to figure out what this number means and what this one signifies. Uh, it's kind of interesting, and there are some numbers that are used more often than others. Uh, but in general, worrying about that too much is, I think, kind of a distraction. Uh, there are no secret codes in the Bible that we can figure out by adding all these numbers up and calculating this and all. The Bible says things the way they are, and they're pretty clear. So, yeah, some numbers are interesting, and 7 and 12 and 40 are used a lot, and interesting study about them. Uh, but numerology in general is not something we need to spend a whole lot of time on, and I don't think there's anything special to the number 10. All right, Toby. Right. Have you asked the question, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. 
I know the earth will be destroyed, but how will heaven pass away? Well, we find this uh, phrase from Jesus, this teaching from Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. Let's look at it on the screen together. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And I can understand a little bit of the confusion. How can heaven pass away? Isn't that our eternal home? To understand this, you have to understand the Jewish teaching on the idea of heaven. Uh, you and I speak of heaven as one place. Uh, in that day, at that time, in that culture, they had three heavens. Uh, the first heaven was the level where the, the birds fly, uh, where the clouds are, what we would call the atmosphere or sky, but they referred to that as the heaven, the first heaven. The second heaven was where the sun and the moon and the stars reside, where we can look out on a clear night and see the stars. That was also heaven too, but that was the second level of heaven. And the third level of heaven was, the third heaven was where God and the celestial beings reside. And you may remember that Paul himself uh, refers to having a vision and being caught up to the third heaven. And that's that idea. Well, when Jesus says heaven and earth will pass away, he's talking about the created order. He's talking about the first and second level of heaven. Someday the earth and the sky and the clouds and everything in the atmosphere and everything beyond the atmosphere, the sun and the moon and the stars, all of that that was created uh, by God's word will be destroyed. All of that will be uh, completely uh, burnt up and done away with. And Peter's very specific in his letter when he says uh, addresses this in 2 Peter 3, 10 and 11. Let's read that on the screen. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? So, uh, yes, all that's going to be destroyed. Uh, everything we know in the created order will be destroyed, but certainly uh, the, the heaven where God and, and the uh, eternal celestial beings, however they dwell there, that's not going to be destroyed. But everything else, all that will pass away, uh, but God's word will not be. All righty. We've got a question, a major question here that we need to understand. Viewer says, what's it mean to be born again? Well, that's a term that Christians use a lot. Uh, I'll tell you, first of all, what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean there's a special class of Christians that are born again. Uh, some people use it that way, and they say, I'm a Christian. Some others say, well, I'm a born-again Christian. Well, the Bible doesn't use it that way at all. Uh, if you're a Christian, you've been born again. So let's understand what that means. Uh, and let's start with this. What we have as humans is a sin problem. We've got a heart problem. We, we've sinned. We're sinful. Uh, we need that fixed uh, so we can be in the kingdom of God and go to heaven. So a man in the New Testament named Nicodemus uh, came to Jesus one night because he was afraid the other Pharisees and all that would see him. He was an important man. But he knew Jesus was from God. So he went to Jesus and said, I know you're from God, now, now tell me what I need to do, is basically what he asked. And Jesus' answer, and this is the easiest way to understand born again, is just to look, listen to what Jesus says. Is in John chapter, or, uh, yeah, John chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, so let's just read Jesus' answer to Nicodemus. Jesus answered him, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus took it just the way we would physically. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Uh, Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus took it literally, being physically born again. And Jesus straightened him out. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So there's Jesus' answer. Uh, Being born physically is being born of the flesh. And what's born of the flesh is flesh. But he said, we're talking about a spiritual problem you have, which I already mentioned. You've got a heart problem. You need to be born again spiritually. And what is of the spirit is spirit. Okay, so... That's what Jesus is talking about, our salvation, our cleansing from the problem of sin, happens when we're born again. Now, at baptism, uh, when we go down into the water, it's a picture of being born again. We die to the old man, we are raised up to be a new creature, Uh, so that's when it happens. But what happens is a spiritual rebirth. That's when the Spirit makes us a new creature. That's when the Spirit cleanses us of sin. That's when we are born again, as Jesus said. So we're born of water and the Spirit. It happens at that point. So we're called a new creation then, a new creature. Uh, And that's all Jesus was talking about, to get rid of your sin problem. You need a spiritual birth, and that comes from the Spirit. happens at baptism, but it happens in our heart, in our soul, in our spirit. Uh, We're recreated and born again. So if you haven't obeyed Christ that way, accepted Him as Lord, and put Him on in baptism, and the Spirit changed your heart, uh, then you haven't been born again. Uh, If you have been born again, you're a new creation in Christ. So that's what being born again means. We take this moment and invite you to study the Bible with us. We like to study the Bible here and answer some good questions like these, but the Bible's full of so many things, and it speaks directly to people's lives. Like we say in our opening, it covers all areas of human life. In fact, it claims to have everything that pertains to life and godliness. So you need to study the Bible, and we like to help people get started in that. So we've got lots of good study tools that will help you study the Bible. Here's one course that we have. This is what we start folks with that just want to start studying the Bible because it's a general overview. starts with the Old Testament and the New Testament. helps you understand those two big parts of the Bible. Once you get through those eight lessons, we've got some more advanced courses that will uh, help you get started in and keep studying the Bible for a long time. And all of this is free, by the way, absolutely no charge. And if you want to do it online without all the paper coming and going in the mail, we've got a way you can do that now. Just log on to that website and uh, tell us you'd like to study the Bible online, and we'll get you started up. So you can do it on your phone, on your tablet, on your uh, PC, however you want to do it, we can do it for you. So uh, good ways to study the Bible. So either call the number on the screen, log on to the website or that special website for uh, online studies. We'll get you studying the Bible and 
hope you know a lot more about your Bible. All right, Toby, what's your viewer after here? We have a marriage question. A viewer wants to know, is it a sin to marry outside your faith? Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's a sin. I certainly don't think it's wise, and uh, I'll explain my reasoning for that and give you a scripture, hopefully, uh, to, to think on. Uh, when you are getting married, you're establishing a family, a man and, and a woman uh, coming together as one. God establishes a new home in the earth. He does a, a wonderful thing, and that, that union will be the basis of relationship, a foundation for your children and their children, and uh, it's a wonderful blessing. So, uh, as with many elements, whether you're talking about relationship or finances or, or time management or your career or anything like that, uh, you got to be on the same page. And it's, and it's just exactly the same with your faith. Uh, as you uh, grow in faith together, I mean, the, the, the whole point of a, of a marriage is for each of you to draw one another closer to the Lord. I know a good friend who t- told uh, her daughters, uh, marry someone who will help you get to heaven. And I think that's very good counsel. And that's what a husband and wife should do, draw each other closer to the Lord as they grow closer together. So the greater the differences will mean a, between a man and wife will mean greater difficulty in the marriage relationship. Uh, if you have a, an atheist, for example, who has absolutely no faith, uh, marrying someone who has a very sincere faith, goes to church three times a week, uh, reads their Bible, uh, there's going to be a wide divergence in how they approach life, the basis for making decisions. Uh, all of that is, is going to be at, at odds with one another. Um, uh, husband and wife, as we said, you know, you're, the, the point of marriage is to bring you together as one, physically, relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. And then when you go beyond the marriage relationship into raising children, uh, training children is hard enough. When you're not on the same page, it gets even harder. So uh, keep that same goal in mind. Marry someone who will help you get to heaven. If you're not married yet, if you're in a relationship, you should be asking that question. Will this person help me get closer to Jesus and, and in the long run, help me to get to heaven? Now, uh, if you're already married, uh, this can be a challenge. If somebody comes into Christ, comes to Christ later, and they are not, uh, uh, they're, they're come to faith, but their spouse doesn't, boy, that can be a very big challenge, which is why I say it's not a, uh, a sin, but it's certainly going to create a lot of challenges. So let's look at a scripture on the screen where Paul wrote uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. He writes, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has lawlessness? Light with darkness, what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Okay, he he pointing out the problem here, uh, and I like the visual. When you're unequally yoked, when you have one pulling in one direction, one pulling in the opposite direction, it's going to create a lot of problems for your marriage. And if you're in a marriage where you're unequally yoked, you have some special challenges because you still need to try to work it out. You still need to try to to uh, maintain your faith in Christ and grow in Christ. But then now you're you've, you're trying to help your spouse along as well. So. So uh, my counsel is it's wisest to marry within your faith and wisest to marry someone who will help you get closer to Jesus and, and get to heaven ultimately. I hope that helps. Okay, excellent answer. Yeah, it's not a matter of thou shalt not. It's a what's wise yeah. and you want to make marriage as easy as possible. Sure. It's, it's 
it's tough under any <laughs> it's circumstances. It's challenging anyways, right. Yeah. <laughs> so the more you got in common, and this is the most important one, is your faith. Yep. So yep. great answer there. All right, do you have to be a church member to take communion? Well, my answer is going to be it depends which church you're going to. Uh, there are some churches that practice what we call closed communion. Uh, you have to be a member, and you have to be a member in good standing, and the church controls that some way. And, uh, so in that kind of situation, yeah, you've got to be a church member. But uh, most churches, or a lot of churches, and the churches of Christ practice what we call open communion. We don't monitor uh, who's in good standing and who isn't and who's a member and who's not. Uh, so we don't monitor that and you can take communion. Now, beyond that, if you weren't a church member, uh, if you're not a Christian, let's say, uh, why would you want to take communion? Uh, so it comes down to that, I think, instead of uh, can you or can you not, uh, communion is a matter between a Christian and his Lord. Well, we commune with the Lord at the Lord's table, and if you're not a Christian, I don't see why you would want to. Uh, and maybe it's a matter of being uncomfortable and a little embarrassed not to do it uh, if everybody else on your pew is doing it. I understand that. Uh, I've gone to some uh, social clubs, some service clubs, and was a guest speaker or something. And most of them do something that I don't understand. You know, they take some kind of stand up and recite some of the pledge of their club, uh, or they pass a jar around and all of them put a dollar bill in it and say something or things like that. And I'm sitting there, I don't know what all this means. Uh, and it's a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm not a member of that club, so it doesn't bother me. Uh, I let them do what they do, and they understand it, and I abstain, and it doesn't bother me much. So, But I can see where in a church situation you're there, and communion's being passed, and you think, well, I wonder if I should do this or not. Uh, don't be embarrassed about it if you're not a Christian and uh, not a church member. No reason to, to participate. So uh, do you have to be a church member to take communion? Well, not technically legally, but if you're not a church member, I don't know why you would want to. So I'll, I'll answer it that way. Uh, speaking of attending church, let me invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. The Church of Christ keep this program on the air, and we appreciate uh, the support from so many. And we like to mention a few of our special supporters each week. Uh, today, let me mention a couple south of Wichita, Kansas, where Know Your Bible originates. Uh, the Derby Church of Christ and the Wellington Church of Christ are both longtime supporters of Know Your Bible, and we appreciate them. If you live in Derby or Wellington and are looking for a church home, uh, you'll be warmly welcomed at either the Derby Church or the Wellington Church. And uh, maybe you know a member, somebody that goes to the Derby Church or Wellington Church, or maybe you work with them or know them some other way. Uh, tell them, hey, I saw your church supports Know Your Bible, and I appreciate you keeping that program on the air. Uh, drop in and visit them or drop them a line and tell them that you appreciate their support of this program. And uh, whatever area you live in, wherever you're seeing this broadcast, there's probably a Church of Christ near you, and you'd be warmly welcomed if you wanted to drop in and visit them. 
All right, Toby, tell us about the rosary. All right, <laughs> subject on which I'm for surely not an expert. What does the Bible teach about the rosary, a viewer wants to know, and my answer to that is the Bible does not teach about the rosary. Uh, the rosary is uh, promoted by the Catholic Church as a, a special prayer they pray as a means of strengthening one's faith, as resisting evil, growing spiritually, and benefiting society. That's from the Catholic Church, um, uh, uh, some, some information that I found. And there are parts of it that sound kind of biblical. The first part of what they call the Hail Mary is uh, very close to Luke chapter 1, verse 28. Uh, but there's, and this is Needs, distinction needs to be made. There is no scriptural basis for praying to Mary. Uh, only God can hear our prayers, and only God can answer our prayers. And there's there are several aspects to uh, the practice of praying the Rosary that actually run counter to what we find in the pages of Scripture. Uh, first, giving uh, descriptions of Mary that the Bible never gives, uh, calling Mary holy and and um, that proclaiming that she never sinned and never had any taint of sin. Uh, that's just not biblical. Okay, they're, 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 you will not find that in Scripture. Uh, much of that prayer of the Rosary is directed to Mary and not to the Lord. Uh, every example that we find in Scripture, Old Testament and new alike, every example of prayer is directed to God alone, not to Mary. There's not a single example of one praying to a saint or to an angel uh, or anyone else. In fact, uh, when people tried to do that or give any sort of reverence to even angels, uh, they were very quick quick to correct them and say, uh, that is uh, for God alone. And um, uh, the the roles that the Bible gives, uh, that the rosary uh, proclaims that Mary has are, are not roles that the Bible gives her, calling her the Redeemer and the Advocate and Mediator and the Holy Queen. Uh, uh, all of that is you will not find in the pages of Scripture. In fact, uh, Mary herself did not call herself a queen, but simply the Lord's servant. So, uh, biblically speaking, we have one intermediary, and that is Jesus. And it is in His name we pray, we through His, his name and to uh, the Lord, and uh, not Mary's or anyone else's. So, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. The Apostle Paul said, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Uh, so, hope that... Uh, clarifies a little bit about the rosary. All righty, very good. Got an interesting question here. If uh, you've never heard of this theory, let me ask the question. Is the United States uh, one of the tribes of Israel? Well, most people probably think, no, I've never heard that before, and how could that be possible? Uh, but there is a teaching by one group at least. Uh, it's called British or Anglo- Israelism, and uh, let me explain it a little bit briefly here, just so you know where that question came from. Uh, used to be an organization, I don't know how active it still is, the Worldwide Church of God was on the radio a lot, Herbert W. Armstrong, you might recommend that name, he preached uh, his doctrines and his teachings, and one of them was that the ten lost tribes, he called it, <coughs> of Israel, the northern kingdom, uh, was taken off into captivity in Assyria and Babylon and all that. And after the captivity, 
some of them went back to Palestine, but uh, the most of them immigrated or migrated all over the world to different places, supposedly, and he called them the Ten Lost Tribes, and his teaching was that the Ten Lost Tribes went to Britain and then later came to America, and therefore <laughs> England and America uh, received all the blessings of Israel. And we are a descendant somehow, and we get the, the covenant promises of Israel and all of that, and we're specially blessed among all nations. Interesting theory. It just has nothing to do with history or the Bible, either one. Uh, it's something he dreamed up to make England and the U.S. special. Uh, I think God has blessed America, but not having anything to do with Israel's promises. So I, I discount the whole thing. It's not historical. We don't know where all the tribes went, and most likely it's very unlikely they would have migrated clear through Europe and up to England and all that. So Historically, it's kind of foolishness, and biblically, it's certainly not supported by the Bible. Uh, so I wouldn't worry anymore about the U.S. being a tribe or ten tribes or anything to do with Israel. Uh, not in the Bible, not in the history books, so don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. A uh, person asked the question, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? Well, <clears throat> we probably have uh, many viewers who watch this program, who enjoy watching the program, enjoy studying the Bible, not altogether big on churches and people and Christians, or maybe you've had a bad experience, you've been wounded by uh, someone in the church, or you knew someone who is very hypocritical, and it, it's really caused a problem for you. And uh, to answer your question, i got to clarify some things. First of all, uh, a church is not a, something you go to. Church is a group of people that you're a part of. Uh, and I understand we mean we go here where the church meets and all of that. But, but it helps us think about that church is not just a building or a place or a location. It's a, it's a people. It's a group of people who are seeking to follow Jesus and to be like them. And <clears throat> do you have to do that to be a Christian? You don't do that to be a Christian. You do that, you're a part of the church because you're a Christian. Uh, in today's world, there's a lot of people who say, well, I love Jesus, but not the church. And that's just an impossibility. If you love Jesus, then you love those who Jesus loved. And the church is the group of people, his bride, that he bought and paid for with his own blood. So you can't love Jesus and then not have anything to do with the people whom he bought and paid for and died for and and so yes when you are a christian you are a part of the church and you should participate uh it'll be good for you you'll grow you'll mature you'll learn i think of ways in which the church has impacted my life over the years and the way i've grown and been taught and been led i've i've learned how to be a better prayer a better giver learn how to worship i've uh, been taught things uh, all of that comes from the parts of the body working together which is why the apostle paul refers to the church as a body with all different parts but all working together under one head, that is Christ. So uh, when you obey Jesus, when you believe in him, trust in him, and, and are buried as he commanded in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, then you're a Christian. And when you're a Christian, then you are added to his body, the church. And so, yes, if you're a Christian, you need to, to you're as a part of the body of Christ, you need to do your part 
in the body, not to earn your salvation, but as a response to what Christ has done for you. Uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Paul says, uh, writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members are one body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So I hope that helps. All righty, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. We're about out of time. Which apostle do we call doubting? And I'm sure you've heard people say there's that guy's a doubting Thomas. Thomas was the one that doubted. So we're glad you've been with us today. Hope you come back next week and hear some more questions. Until then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.